Thank you, Hunter. If you would please join me in your Bibles to uh, First or First Timothy chapter one. Find right, First Timothy chapter one. If you don't happen to have a Bible or an electronic Bible, uh, there should be some near you in the pew. I'd love for you to follow along as we study uh, this morning. As we continue our study from last week, last week we begin we begin by looking at just a few short verses in First Timothy chapter one. Uh, verses uh, 18 through 20, and we were talking about this whole topic of church discipline. The title of the message was Fighting for Gospel Purity, and today is uh, part two of that, Fighting for Gospel Purity, part two. Paul wanted to let Timothy know how serious it was to deal with the false teachers and deal with them in a, in a, in a timely manner, in a, in a very forthright, decisive way. And uh, really, it's his Reminder that whether it's false teaching or whether it's sin in the church, we cannot accept it. We cannot just allow it in. And so uh, we read verse 20. Well, let's just read 18 through 20 again, First uh, Timothy chapter 1. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What we said last week was that that phrase, handed over to Satan, it also shows up in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a phrase that is, is uh, equivalent to, I put them out of the church. I took them out of the umbrella, the, protect, the protective care of the local body of Christ, and I put them out into the sphere of Satan. Uh, the Bible teaches that, um, that uh, first, or Colossians 1.13 says that uh, his is a domain of darkness. 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. When Paul says, I handed them over to Satan, it was them being removed from the midst of the, the protective care of the body of Christ and put into the, the sphere, uh, we would say the world or Satan's realm. And it was not for the purpose of, of seeing them um, just completely crushed and wiped out. We learned from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that the whole point was to restore them, to remove the sin from the midst of the body of Christ, and hopefully as a last resort, as they're put out of the church, to jolt them into wakeful repentance so that they may come back to Christ. And in the example of 1 Corinthians 5, that's exactly what happens because when you get to 2 Corinthians, you read that this brother repented of his sexual immorality and wanted to return to the, the fellowship. And they needed to be instructed on how to do that, how to welcome him back. As believers, we need to see just how serious sin is and the, the discipline process that needs to take place for those who are unrepentant. But there are several steps before you get to this whole putting them out of the church phase or handing them over to Satan. And that's what we want to talk about today. But I want to just review what we said by way of definition. Was that church discipline is corrective care taken by the body of Christ in matters of unrepentant sin in a brother or sister's life. I would also add, based on the context of 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, corrective care with regards to false teaching as well. Being dealt with in a, in a forthright, in a serious, and a grave manner. Um, and so we looked at a couple passages last week that talked about church discipline. And I want to look at one this week here that will flesh it out a little bit more clearly, especially those steps leading up to um, 
to being put out of the church. So if you have those Bibles, flip now over to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to read the words of Jesus as to how we are to work through this process with one another. If someone commits sin, if we see a believer, a brother or sister involved in sin, maybe it's a sin that they have committed against you, maybe it is a, 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 just a sinful path that they're beginning to walk down and you have taken notice of it, it's, it's caught your attention, and God's Spirit has laid upon your heart to say something, Jesus has given us a process by which to walk through them with this. If you see verse 15, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Step one, if you're filling out the notes, for those of you who are kind of neurotic about having uh, every blank filled out, I just want to apologize last week for leaving so many empty spaces, but we're going to get them all filled in this week, I promise. So here's step one. Have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Talk to them. I mean, how many problems in our marriages, how many problems in our workplaces and in our churches could be resolved if we just had a conversation? Communicating is absolutely just so important. And it's especially important when there's been a sin involved, when there's been an offense here. And he says, if someone sins against you, and I would add, I think that the New Testament uh, would also add uh, that um, if, if you see sin, maybe it's not a personal sin that's been directed to you, but if you see someone who's um, uh, living in sin, the book of Galatians said, for, any of you, for anyone caught in a uh, sin, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So if, you, if you've been sinned against or you see a fellow believer who's fallen into sin, he says, have a conversation. Talk to them. Um, this is, it's simple, but it's not easy, right? Because we begin to think through all the things, all the scenarios that could happen. I mean, what if this person gets really angry with me when I try to point this out? What if, what if this blows up? And all those things are, are real concerns, but it doesn't keep us from being obedient to God. If a person has sinned against you, have that conversation. This does not mean that you are on the prowl looking for any uh, misstep. You're the, the, the church's um, you know, disciplinarian, that you're looking for anybody who's, who's got the slightest thing off. Uh, this is not also, this, neither is this talking about um, non-sin issues, okay? We all, we all have little things that get under our skin and that annoy us um, about one another, especially the closer you get and the more time you spend together as Christians. I mean, husbands and wives understand this. Um, it bothers my wife and has for 18 years, in fact, 18 years today, that I am a loud gum chewer. Um, I, uh, I, I know it's an issue. I don't, I don't know how to deal with it, uh, but I just am, am noisy when I chew gum. I'm a chomper, and it bugs her. So there's a, can you chew quietly or just get rid of the thing? And it makes it, the flesh makes you want, want to like chomp louder, like being all obnoxious about it. But um, we're not talking about like gum chewing volume levels here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about real sin issues. Not things that just annoy us or get under our skin. But if, if someone has sinned against you, if you see real sin going on, he says, talk to them. But this is also, um, you're to have the conversation with them, not 25 other people before you talk to them. That's gossip. 
You're to go to them, Jesus says. Go deal with them directly. If, if you hear something about someone, go to that person right away. Hey, I heard this. So-and-so said this. I just want to either debunk it right away if it's not true, or if it is true, we need to have a little bit longer talk. And, and just, just deal with it. Um, don't wait. Don't sit on it. I mean, maybe take a little bit of time to pray about it and your spirit and your attitude, the way you're going to approach it. But talk to them. Have a conversation. Also, I would add, do it privately. Jesus says here in verse 15, he says, between you and him alone. This means that you're not going to accost them in the foyer with a bunch of other people around and, and, uh, and loudly proclaim, I heard such and such, or you did such and such, and it offended me. Uh, this is a private conversation. And Jesus says, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That should be, that should be the, that, that's the ideal situation. Our hearts as Christians should always be humble enough and ready to hear if someone comes to us with something we did. And oftentimes, we don't even know we've done it, right? This is why it's important to have that conversation. You could be offended at something I said, and I had no clue that I hurt you by what I said. And here you are losing sleep about it. Maybe you're, you're, um, you're, you're seething about it. You're starting to get bitter about it. And here I am. I've got no clue that I, I even said anything that offended you. That's why Jesus wants us to deal with this personally, privately, without gossip. And, he, and, and our hearts should be such that, that if we hear we've done something wrong, the humility, the, the Christ-like spirit will say, Will you please forgive me? Either I had no clue or you're right, that was malicious and, and, and God has been convicting me about that and I'm glad that you've brought it up because I haven't dealt with it. Will you forgive me? That should be the Christ-like response. In this world of sin, we know that's not always the case. And so Jesus gives the next step. He says, go with a couple of others. Verse 16. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This step ups the ante just a little bit. This is a serious enough issue. They didn't respond when you talked to them. Maybe they blew you off. Maybe they said, you know what, I don't care. I, I like what I'm doing. I'm happy doing this, and I'm going to continue to live this way. Unfortunately, that often happens in situations with divorce. When you point out to them, hey, listen, you got, you're heading down a path right now in your marriage where you guys are splitting up. And I don't think you have a biblical basis to do so. And, and a, a frequent response to that is, that doesn't matter. This makes me happy. I deserve to be happy, don't I? And so often with sin, we think that's what will bring us happiness. If I am allowed to continue down this path. Well, this step here ups the serious level a notch or two because now you're bringing one or two others and you're talking to this person. I just want to add a couple of things with this. Um, remember, it says one or two others. Don't bring an entourage. Don't, you're, not, you're not out there to um, overwhelm them with sheer brute force and bend them into submission because you've got like a whole multitude with you. This is a couple others. I'd encourage you to find somebody that that knows them well, that they respect and care for, that, that person that maybe they're not willing to hear you, but so-and-so they would listen to. Um, bring people who, who you know have that same spirit that you hopefully do, the spirit of caring and love and grace and want to help restore them. 
um, bring a pastor or an elder, bring, uh, bring someone that you can, um, that, that hopefully anyways, that they're, they're more in tune to listen to. Um, don't blindside them uh, or, or corner them in a dark alley somewhere. Try to, try to arrange it, try to set it up so that they understand, hey, I want to come and talk to you again about this, and I've got so-and-so that's coming with me because we're just really concerned about you. I realize that they're probably going to cancel or dodge or, or be squirrely, but keep pursuing it because this is what God has called you to do to, in, in working through these sin issues. If they still do not lust, listen, verse 17 says, if he refuses to listen to them. So you've got a group of like-minded believers who have a heart to restore, and this person still is continuing in their disobedience and in their wickedness, then you bring it to step three. And verse uh, 17 says, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. This is where you get the whole body of Christ involved. And I don't know the best way to do that in our age. I'm pretty sure it doesn't involve social media because that can just be a disaster. But uh, it, this is a very sensitive process. If you've reached this level, this is someone who is persisting in sin. They may or not, may not still be attending the church. Uh, in, in Paul's situation and in 1 Corinthians, this individual was still involved in the church, still staying connected. And so if they're still connected to the church, this is where the church gathers around them. And as a, as a corporate body, they, they are dealing with this issue. It may be, and I'm, I'm in all seriousness, it may be something that needs to get mentioned from the pulpit. That's exact. Paul called out Hymenaeus and Alexander by name. I mean, how embarrassing would that be? Or if you've ever read uh, Philippians... And you get to chapter 4, he says, I beseech, I beg Yodius and Syntyche to agree with one another in the Lord. These two ladies have been fighting in the church, and Paul calls them out by name in the letter. It's like, knock it off, ladies, get along. Like, that would have been enough to just, you know, make most of us shrink back. Like, you're reading the letter aloud in the, in the congregation for the first time, and the Apostle Paul calls you out by name in this letter that will be forever recorded for thousands of years and fall into scripture, like, oh man, are you serious? Hopefully at this point with getting the whole church involved, God, God's heart is that this will jolt the person uh, awake to the seriousness of their error, their sin, their false teaching. Um, one writer says, I love the picture of what God, uh, here of a God who does not leave us alone to wander off in our sin. He gets to the point where he says, I love you so much. I'm going to send all my people to show you that love. My people are going to be an expression of that love. The picture here is of the church expressing grace and love and the mercy of God in order to bring a brother or sister back from his sin. But if they still do not respond, Jesus says, if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, it wasn't the right way to teach Gentiles and, or, and, and tax collectors by ostracizing them. But Jesus said, you know how you do that? You shouldn't be doing that with Gentiles and tax collectors so they don't know me yet. But you know how you treat them that way? Well, that's how you treat an unrepentant brother or sister. You put them out. And that's, that's the step of, we would we'd call it excommunication. Paul calls it twice, handing someone over to Satan. That's where they're removed from the midst. It's a serious matter. Paul was not 
just magically or just randomly waving it over anybody he didn't like or somebody who disagreed with him or the first person that stepped out of line. You're handed over Satan. You're excommunicated. You're out of here. This is a grave process that Paul walks them through and that Jesus walks us through. It's a process of great that should be bathed in prayer and in tears and in grace. But maybe, even after look at some of the, looking at some of these scriptures, uh, the question still remains for some of us, why should we practice church discipline? What's the big deal here? I don't understand why this is so serious. Well, first of all, it's commanded. It's commanded. When Jesus speaks, we need to listen. If you tell your five-year-old tonight that it's bedtime, you got school tomorrow, you got to go up to bed, and they look at you and say, no, I'm staying up to the end of the ALCS game too. I'm watching the whole thing until it's done, even if it goes into extra innings, Dad. So give me some more popcorn. If your five-year-old says that, what's going to be your response? It's probably, okay, listen, I'm just going to help all the parents. It should not be, oh, whatever you want, Johnny. I want to stay up and watch the game, too. Let's watch it together. I don't care if you've got to get up for school tomorrow. You can stay up as late as you want. You want to stay up and watch game three tomorrow? That's fine, too. Whatever you want. No, 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 no. As a parent, you have authority. Maybe this is new. I, I don't know. I hope it's not new. But as a parent, you have authority over that child. And when you speak, they're to listen and obey. Especially a, a five-year-old that you know what's best for him or her. And so you say, no, you get up to bed now. <laughs> when you speak, they, they're, they're supposed to listen. God says, honor your father and mother. They're supposed to listen. When God speaks, we're supposed to listen. We don't negotiate with God. We don't change his words. We don't say, well, I don't really feel like doing that. Uh, God has spoken. We listen and respond. When we read scripture, God speaks to us through his word and his spirit takes those truths and applies them to our hearts so that, so that we understand what God is saying and know that he's telling, he's saying it to us personally. God says, I want you to respond. You don't get to blow off what I say. You don't get to shrug it off. You don't get to ignore it. When God speaks, we listen. When God says, deal with sin in your midst, we must live. We must listen. But not only is church discipline commanded, church discipline is loving. Church discipline is loving. Let me explain what I mean by that. First of all, it's loving to the sinner. It's loving to the sinner. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, said this. Listen carefully. He says, nothing is so cruel as the quote-unquote tenderness that consigns another to his sin. On the flip side, nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. You hear that? Calling a brother or sister back from a path of sin is compassionate. I've used this illustration before, but those of you who know where I live, know that I live on a, a little curve, and it's, the speed limit's supposed to be 25 miles an hour back in there, but sometimes cars come whipping around the corner pretty quickly. And if, and if you're coming back towards uh, McEwen, uh, it, it's kind of a blind spot when you, when you make that corner. And it, let's say my, my child is out playing in the road because he told me that's what he wanted to do, and so I let him do whatever he wanted him to do. And he's out there playing, just maybe a three-year-old, and, and I see a car, from my perspective, I can see him coming fast, and he's going to hit that corner hard, and, and my kid is right there. Now, 
I don't, I don't um, at that point convene a committee to make a recommendation to my child and suggest that he or she may wish to remove themselves from the dangerous path of this vehicle if they so choose and if it pleases them and on and on. I don't go out there and barter with them. I don't say, um, listen, it's up to you. You may or may not want to move out of the way of this oncoming truck. I scream at the top of my voice, get out of the road. If I'm close enough, I may physically grab them and pull them out of the road. Is that unloving? Is that uncaring for me to be so cruel as to tell them what to do? To physically remove them? It's loving because I'm removing them from a situation that could kill them. What kind of parent would leave their child in front of an oncoming car because they don't want to disturb them? They don't want to squelch their feelings because they're having so much fun playing with their soccer ball in the middle of the street. It's ridiculous. It's silly. We would never do that. Yet, we will allow a brother or sister who's playing with fire, who's, who's walking down a path of sin, to go unchecked, un, unrebuked. Because of what? Because we don't want to offend them? Because we're worried they'll unfriend us on Facebook? What's, what's the consequences? Their eternal soul? Or offending them? What's worse? What's more grave? What's more serious? It's loving to the sinner to call them to repentance. But it's also loving to the church. It's loving to the church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, that passage we looked at last week, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I mentioned how just a, a little small amount of red curry paste can make a, a, a whole dinner flaming hot, inedible. When you let a little sin in the midst, it can have grave consequences to the whole. I was recently, Elise and I were talking to a friend who had said she uh, had let a couple of her boys, uh, teenage friends, stay the night, and then she was going to take them to school in the morning. And she said she got in the car with them uh, that school morning, that Monday morning, and she said, it stunk so bad. She said, it, it smelled awful. And, and she said, I, you know, they weren't my kids. How do you tell kids who aren't your own that they've got terrible BO, terrible personal hygiene? She's like, so I just, I didn't say anything. I just rolled the window down and was like, like breathing out my mouth and the whole way to the school. And she's like, I could not wait till they got out of the car. And I gasped for breath, stuck my head out the window, rolled all the windows down to air. And she's on her way to work. It just was the smell was not getting any better. It's like, oh my word, they brought their body over into the car, now it's like locked in, it's sealed in to the vehicle. I can't, can't get it out, you know. She gets all the way to work, and the smell is just still as strong and pungent as if those teens were still sitting in the car. And she, I just cannot figure it out. So she decided to go around the, the back of the, the car and lifted up the hatch, and she started moving a couple things around, and she realized that she had... Um, forgot a bag of groceries from the day before, and it had been a hot day, and it was the bag that had the fish and the shrimp that she had bought in it. And it had nothing to do with these teenage boys, however uh, you know, logical that sounded. It was rotting fish in the back end of her, her car. And you know what, though? I didn't actually ask her, but I'm just going to make an assumption. She got the bag out of there. I bet she threw that bag away immediately, probably not in her office, probably somewhere far away from any uh, where her nostrils could reach it. The point is, 
that, that when you have something like that, you've got rotting fish in your car, you're going to get it out because you know it permeates the whole car. Sin is that bad. When we allow sin to just go unchecked in our midst, it permeates the body of Christ. When we allow false teaching to go unchecked and undealt with, it permeates the body of Christ. And that's why Jesus' and Paul's words are so strong on this matter. You know, we might object to it for various reasons, or maybe more so the, the outside world. Uh, maybe we think uh, we can't, can't do church discipline. It just sounds too judgmental, and it's harsh. I mean, didn't Jesus say, judge not, you be not judged? Well, that's probably one of the most misquoted verses in the entire Bible. Paul actually said in 1 Corinthians 5, in that context with a, with a man living in sexual immorality, he says... For, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's those inside the church who are here to judge. God judges those on the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. Rather than being judgmental, it's actually um, humble. It's being faithful to God's word to deal with sin. We might also say that it will offend people. Most definitely. But it isn't worth offending someone if you're, if you're dealing with like top shelf spiritual heart issues. If it's a matter of them walking away from God and living a life of sin and rebellion and walking away from the Lord or offending them, stepping on their toes a little bit, shouldn't we, shouldn't we rather choose that? Or we might say it doesn't work today. I get it. There are challenges uh, with, you know, how easy it is. I mean, I can come and sit down with you and say, listen, I see this sin in your life. And you can say, I don't want to deal with you. I'm gone. And you can go down the road and find another church to attend. I get that. But it still should not keep us from being obedient to God. And if, and if our heart's in the right place, if our heart longs to please God, when someone comes to us, putting their finger on clear sin that's in our lives, our hearts should be, thank you for being faithful to speak up. Thank you for showing me that I have not been walking with the Lord in this way. There are some necessary ingredients that I want to encourage you with as we think towards the application as to how you go about this. First of all, you need to approach them with a heart of humility. When you see a brother or sister caught in sin, approach with a heart of humility. You're not going after your pound of flesh. You're not trying to get back at them because four and a half years ago they did something to you and you're still seething on the inside and this is your chance to get them and it's a spiritual sounding way to go after and get them. No, 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 no. Approach with a heart of humility. In the words of Jesus, have you, have you taken time to get the log out of your own eye? Have you gone to God and asked his spirit to search your own heart? Humility does not require you to be perfect. Make sure you make a little note of that. that, that going to someone about their sin does not require you to be sinless, but it requires for you to have a clean heart, for you not to be harboring your own known sin in your life. If we wait to talk to someone about sin, before we want to wait until we're totally have it all together, we'll never talk to anybody. None of us are perfect. 
And chances are that person could turn around and say, yeah, but I know, I know what kind of person you are. Listen, wait, 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 that's not the issue. Yes, I'm a sinner too. But friend, I, I'm here to help you and to point you back to Christ because there's this issue that we've got to deal with. It also requires courage. It requires courage. Depending on your makeup, um, this may be one of the most terrifying things you've ever read in Scripture. You mean I'm supposed to confront somebody? Listen, I, 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 I'm the kind of person that if, if my boss came to me tomorrow and said I want to cut your wages by 80%, I'd say, all right, no big deal. I'm like the least non I'm like the most non-confrontational person you've ever met in your life. And God's expecting me to obey this? Yes. Yes, yes. And he can give you the courage to do it. If God's spirit is saying, go talk to so-and-so, he will give you the words to say. As you approach him in prayer and take that step of faith, he will give you the courage. It also, and, and, and I'll also add, um, I'll just be honest, your fears of how they're going to respond, they may be realized. You may think, oh, what if this person doesn't talk to me again? What if they hate me? What, what, if, what if they want nothing to do with me anymore? There is that chance. I'm not going to lie to you. There's that chance, as Jesus said, and if they don't listen to you, they may walk away. But that's worth being faithful and obedient to God. And then number three, another ingredient is that a deep concern for holiness. If we don't care about sin like God cares about sin, we probably won't ever get into this process of church discipline, of confronting brothers and sisters about sin. The writer of Hebrews says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We should long to be holy as he is holy and long to keep purity in the church. And then finally, church discipline must be done with a spirit of love and grace. A spirit of love and grace. Paul says, if, if I have love, I'm nothing. Got nothing. If your heart is not one of love and grace, then you need to wait to go talk to that person. Your heart should be, I'm talking to them because I care about them. Not because I caught them and I want to get them. I want to see them restored. I want to see them brought back to Jesus. I want to see them loving him again and, and in fellowship with the body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. So as we close, there's a few things I want to remind you. First of all, let's take sin seriously. Let's take sin seriously. When God points it in your own heart, don't brush it off. When God calls you to talk to a brother or sister who's wandering from the Lord, don't brush it off. We must take sin seriously. And secondly, let's confront it faithfully. Trust God. I realize this is a step of faith to begin this process with somebody. But confront sin faithfully. And then finally, let's pursue Jesus fully. 
Let's pursue Jesus fully. You see, here at the end of the, the, the matter, when it's all boiled down, if we don't, if we don't point the wandering brother back to Jesus, we're, we're only dealing with half the issue. You see, we can we can stand out there and we can rant and rave like a like the guy chasing neighborhood kids off his lawn and say, "Knock this off and stop being like the world and treat your family better and and stop stop wasting your money on this or stop pursuing this sin, get your anger under control, stop looking at porn." We can we can talk about all the things not to do and and most of them are biblical. But if we don't point them to something positive like we're calling them away from this, but let's point them towards this, towards Jesus, who is way better than that sinful path that they're pursuing, that disobedience, that rebellion, that in that moment looks so good to them. As we call them to repentance, say, listen, I get that that looks good. I get that you think you're happy right now, but Jesus is so much better. Jesus is so much better than what the world is promising you right now, than what Satan is waving in front of your face right now. Jesus is so much better. The joy and the peace and the fulfillment that you seek will not be found by pursuing sin and disobedience. It'll be found in Jesus Christ and in the great love he has for you and in the grace that he longs to shower you with. He is that Father awaiting you, the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, to come home so that he can wrap you in his arms and draw you close. That is so much more glorious than what you are pursuing right now. As Christians, we need to be passionate about gospel purity, about guarding the church from false teaching and sin. But we must never let that passion be without a passion for love and grace as we restore that brother or sister. Because he calls us to do it gently and point them back to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let us be people who are passionate about doctrinal purity, about dealing with sin in our own hearts and the hearts of others. Not just for the sake of being right, certainly not for the sake of being able to just confront somebody because it feels good, but may our hearts and our motives be in the place that uh, pursues these things out of, out of a love for the sinner, a love for the body of Christ, and a longing to point the wandering back towards home. Heavenly Father, if your spirit today has begun to work on our hearts, there's somebody here who's convicted about sin, or convicted about speaking up to someone that they know you want them to talk to, May we listen and obey. May we have these conversations with a spirit of grace and gentleness and humility, constantly checking our hearts. And may the wandering sinner, Lord, come home. May 
their hearts be tender and sensitive and long to repent so that they can be restored to Jesus and to the church. Help us to be faithful in these things. We thank you for the power of your spirit who works within us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. You're dismissed.